This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Listening to this on a Monday, which means I am recording this on a Sunday night, which means I have my regular Sunday guest. You're you're more you're more than a guest, Jeremy. Jeremy, you are you're like the uncle who has moved in and is sleeping on the couch in the den. Um, I feel like you've even pulled out the couch, uh, like the the bed in the couch, and you've just you've kind of gotten lazy and you're not even putting it back anymore at the end of the day. This is a ringing endorsement. Wow. No, but you're you're welcome. <laughs> you you cook sometimes. All right. Well, you know, I just got to get back up on my feet, and I'll I'll be I'll be out in you know a week, and then I just never leave. Who are you? Who are you kidding? You're not you're not getting back up on your feet. <laughs> um. So yeah. Um. You asked me when we when we first got on a question, and I was like, you know what? Save it for the podcast. So why don't you go ahead and ask me the question again? Hey, John. Other than the game last night. And the outcome, how was it? You were in attendance. How'd it go? Um, I was trying to figure out on the way out. I think I've probably been to, I don't, I, you know, I haven't gotten to a ton of games in my lifetime, but probably, I don't know, we're somewhere between 75 and 100 Knicks games. Um, I can never remember one quite like that. Um, I, like, obviously in football, you know, sometimes the starting quarterback gets booed and, and you get fans wanting the backup to go in. Uh, but this was, I don't know. It was almost kind of surreal um, in that it like we've we've seen MSG crowds uh, turn on the team, turn on coaches, turn on front office executives, turn on turn on players before. Not in game one though, right? Can you remember anything happening? I mean, you're you're not nearly as old as me, but didn't it? It just it felt so soon. For this, and I'm not even blaming the fans who were like, "What are you doing?" Because I was thinking the same thing the whole time, you know. Yeah, I think if anyone told me or you definitively a week ago that the Knicks would be zero and three after three games, we would say, "Yeah, sounds about right." Right? Well, they they were they had actually beaten. Um, so they were. Uh, the Spurs were favored by, I looked this up, the Spurs were favored by 11 in Game 1. Knicks covered the spread. Uh, the Nets were favored by, I want to say, five, 5 or 9 or something like that. They, but the Knicks covered that spread too. Um, and then last night they obviously did not. Anyway, continue. So, yeah, I mean, spread aside, we figured the outcome itself would be at the end of the day 0-3. Yep. 
I think when you look into it more closely, though, it's hard not to feel like there have been letdowns. And as a whole, you know, it's yes, I almost feel like there's this growing sense of pressure that if things don't happen by now, then they're not going to. And these are games that I never expected the Knicks to win. However, watching them closely and trying to understand how they got in the position that they're in currently, I'm left with a lot of hand-wringing and wondering aloud, like, oh, maybe this guy who's coaching the team isn't the best suited for this team in the long run. Or maybe he is, but the short run is the problem. And, you know, I, I, mean, I know we'll get into it, but it's the sort of thing where I just uh, – I'm not upset at the outcomes. I'm upset more at the micro actions that brought us to this situation. I I think it's a fantastic point. And the way that I wanted to actually drive this home is I think if we rewind 20 20- – what is it? We're recording this at six ten. If we if we rewind um, twenty two hours, twenty one hour, whatever. I'm bad with time. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. does not check into the game in the second half. In his place, Wayne Ellington checks in. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. checked in. It was a four point game with three minutes and change left in the third quarter. Let's say Ellington comes in and. He stays in for what's a normal stint for a backup to come in eight minutes, at, you sure. know, eight eight ten minutes, and yeah. when and when he checks out with let's say oh I don't know six minutes to go in the fourth quarter, let's say the lead has grown to eight points for Boston, and it's an eight point game with six six minutes left in the game, and let's say the Knicks get it to within a couple possessions. Um, you know, nothing too crazy happens and they end up losing the game by about 10 points. Are, are we like, is this because of the sky? I, I said to you, our first topic should be, is the sky is falling? And I realized that's a stupid topic because it doesn't matter what we say. If everybody else around us says the sky is falling, then the sky must be falling. The sky is falling. Would the sky be falling if that happened instead of what actually happened last night, in your opinion? I think if it were a close game, there would be a lot less um, fervor from fans than we're seeing. Because the reality is that the, the first two games were winnable. The Knicks took themselves out and then... Well, they had the lead in the fourth right, quarter. Right, that's the thing. That was, that was so nuts. Is that like, okay, there's actually a legitimate chance that the Knicks could eke out a victory here. And it feels like the terrible third quarters that we've seen last year are now like the fucking fourth where it's just miserable where the team like the team just completely gets outscored in the fourth or things slip away you know like I think with the Nets game that was especially fun to watch because really they just if the Knicks score one basket within the last two minutes of the game then there's a very good chance that they walk away with a victory how about if they make how about if they make um 75 percent of their free throws on the game and instead of shooting 16 for 28 they shoot seven or 21 for 28 they win the game free throws killed them absolutely um and it's i mean the fact that it's a Kyrie irving shot that with rj barrett just kind of like taking it like he was playing decent defense but the fact that he he let his guard down just enough where Kyrie irving beat him with a fantastic shot you have to live with it uh it's unfortunate obviously that the events before then couldn't have changed everything but um yeah I, i think I think the Celtics game was really just a a big 
slap in the face to fans because there's no reason that this Celtics team, which is good, it's not great, it's good, um, why this should have been a blowout in the second half. It makes no sense. And, you know, I, I think personally, I think it was really shitty to boo Dennis Smith Jr. and then say, we want Frank. I get it. He's a basketball player. This is his job. I, I actually I have an article tomorrow, or at least today when you're hearing this, that talks about the point guard position. And to me, it's just I didn't realize that Alfred Payton would be this valuable by game four, game well, three. Game two, even. It's, well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Alfred Payton later when we talk about some um, some stats. But keep going, please. Yeah. So, yeah. It, whenever we talk, it always feels like the road comes back to Frank, and I love it and I hate it. And I love it because we're so passionate, and I hate it because it seems like we just continuously beat the dead horse. But the horse has been dead for some time now. But it, we, it's, we still it's like it's a to rotting be carcass that's just. No one will touch it. <laughs> you stole my line from uh, from what I wrote today, except I was describing uh, a different point guard on the on the <laughs> on the Knicks uh, roster. Um, it, so you hit on a couple things, and I and I want to try to I want to try to sort these out because I I feel like there's some different things going on here. If so, here's the only I I don't know that I I'm disagreeing by saying this, but if the scenario that I just throughout there transpired right and they lost the game in let's say more normal fashion I'm not saying that people would not be reacting somewhat close to the way that they are but I know for me personally I would be I would be fine with it not fine I mean look you never like to be 0-3 but I'd be okay with it because if there's one thing that me personally I would have guessed was going to be a problem a bigger problem than anything else at the start of the year, or the two biggest problems would be getting the rotation set and um, finishing close games. Like, if you have a team with a bunch of new guys, to me, those are the two things that would stand out. And if last night transpired in the way that, again, in the fantasy world that I just I just put forth, to me, those would be the only two things. And yet, I'm looking back, and my biggest complaint last about last night, personally, and I know this is going to sound crazy... It's not that Frank didn't check in in the second half. It's that Wayne Ellington didn't check in in the second half. And I know I know that may seem crazy to some people, but he changed the game. He was the only reason they were in the game at the end and had the lead in the fourth quarter against Brooklyn. And for him not to get a look when they were clearly struggling on offense against Boston, I just, to me, it's like, okay, fine, you've decided Frank isn't a part of your present or your future or whatever. We don't know. But putting that aside you know what Wayne Ellington could do and you know he would have helped you last night and he would have helped you a hell of a lot more than than either Dennis Smith Jr. or Alonzo Trier who didn't really have it. Um, so that that by itself kind of makes me ask the same question that you just brought up which is that, man, what is there something more going on? Because you, I, I mean, you've defended Fizz, right? Like I feel yeah, like not not as much not, as you have. Not as vehemently I, 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 as me. I'd say that I was um, glass half full for the most part last season, and since then it's it's dwindled well past the half empty standpoint. Like I, I wouldn't say. First of all, if anyone's saying fire Fizzdale, I get no, it's, why you're listen, saying it, but it but it's crazy. The thing that the thing is, yes, it's absolutely crazy because if this is a team, rather this is a front office that knew from day one when Scott Perry came aboard that Jeff Hornacek was not going to be the coach of this of the team for this for the future and then kept him on for an entire season 
There's no reason that they're going to fire Fisdale in his second season. If anything, a change will be made at the end of the year. So knowing that, I mean, something egregious would have to have have to happen for Fisdale to be fired in his second year and not after. Yeah. So with that being said, I think the, the biggest thing is we should just put that aside and we just look at, uh, at periods of games. You know, I, I like to look at the season in eighths or tenths because it's just much easier to divide it by since it's 82. It's a weird number. That's fair. Um, I think we should just break it down into sections. Um, and from there, it's kind of just like, all right, well, this first section was whatever. The next one is blah, blah, blah. And, and you can get a good idea around the quarter, even halfway mark. It shouldn't be set in stone. So but- I, I like that idea, which is why, which is why to me it's a little nuts that we're even having this conversation after three games. Three. It's three games, but at the same time, because of how yesterday transpired, it's maybe not that nuts. No, I don't think it's nuts at all. But it's but so let, I mean look let's we keep dancing around it. Here's the reason I'm worried now for for the first time really truly asking myself the question is I don't see a basketball reason for putting Dennis Smith Jr. back into that game in the second half last night. Because if your if your basketball reason is if I don't like I need to put him in to to continue to show confidence in my player, then you're not reading the situation because anybody could see in his stint in the first half last night that he just so it's not I don't know where the elevator's going it's not going to the top like there was I don't I don't even know how to I, I really I don't know I don't have the words to describe what we've seen from Dennis Smith Jr. through now five games two two fake and three real. I think I do. The Knicks have broken Dennis Smith Jr. Because you think they shot, broke him? I, if you look at it, I mean, think about it. When he had the ball and he was about to take a three, and then he takes one dribble and shoots a mid-range shot. Why? Why? There's no reason that Dennis Smith Jr. last season has any hesitation taking that shot. Or there was another one last night where he was driving to the basket. And he pulled and, up. And he pulled up, pulled back, shot the three, missed it came back the other way, and I'm pretty sure that the Celtics scored and there was an and one. And it's just like, you know, I think at this point it's uh, it's it's the yips. Like his shot is so broken. Can I give you a crazy theory? Much. Can I give you something nuts? It. And I don't know how nuts it is. Uh, my uh, my buddy Jason, who um, started uh, a, I, the website, I don't want to get this wrong. I think it, the website is Nicks for Clicks. Obviously, you know, it's a uh, pun there. Um, he thinks that um they keep putting him out there because they were the ones who insisted he changed his shot and they assured him when they changed his shot that we're going to give you as much time as you need on the court to work it out which i wouldn't even know what to think if that was i think that's insane right i'm an insane person for posing that well the Let's say they did that, right? But then there's also the report of them saying the same thing to Alfred Payton of we're going to give you every opportunity to win the starting job. Something has to give between the two because they're not going to you're not going to start both of them and you're certainly not going to see them play much if any playing time together. So, you're yeah. either lying to one or you've made false promises to two. Well, whatever it is, um it's a situation right now where for the, literally for the first time with this head coach 
there are decisions being made that I, I just flatly don't understand. I don't understand how you put Smith in the game. I don't understand how you don't put Ellington in the game. Even, f- like, Frank, you know, we had these pods last year where everybody would be killing him for the three-game the three game benching, for not playing him on Christmas. And I, I could at least talk myself into understanding why that was from the head coach's perspective. I'm not sure if I was right, but I could g- give myself an argument, right? I can't give myself the argument right now. And I think... That is a big part of why we're seeing all of this, um, I almost want to say vitriol, towards him. And I think the other part of it is, and I, I can't, like, we can't escape this. And you tell me if I'm if I'm reading too much into this. There was, based on this summer and, and everything, even though smart Nick fans knew this team was still not good, I think there was an expectation of competence. And I think even though, again, smart Nick fans knew that there would still be long nights and maybe losing streaks and things that were not pretty and, and it would take a while, I don't think anyone in that building last night expected to witness what was essentially letting go of the rope from the what end of the third middle end of the third quarter and it was the it was the way they let go of the rope I mean it was a layup line for Boston it was just you know and then the third part of it which is connected to both parts one and two is on offense um you were seeing the stuff that people have been complaining about for for fizz for over a year now which is what's going on here what's the system and that's what I want to ask you next are you of the mindset that like we're a team that runs no system or are you more of the mindset like it's new players once the thing gets rolling it'll look prettier or are you somewhere in between are you somewhere else all entirely i'm somewhere in between i think it's a little ridiculous that fizzdale said about last year like we didn't have the talent to really create a system because to me that's like these are professional basketball players they they're gonna know if you're able to run something so if you can improve upon that, then that's great. And I think that I look at the Hawks or even the Nets or any of these other teams that are starting to show uh, incremental or or real significant momentum where it's there's a foundation in place. You use the players that you had and you go from there. Like I didn't see the reason why the Knicks needed to let Luke Cornett go. And I definitely didn't see the reason why they needed to pay Bobby Portis an absurd amount of money. Now, would I say that Bobby Portis is a better player than Luke Cornett? Yeah, I guess. Would but you? It's the sort of thing. But that's the thing. Like, I don't even feel confident saying that. And no. I definitely know that at that price point for Bobby Portis versus that price point for Luke Cornett, I would price. much rather take Luke Cornett. For, for, I, if, if <laughs> some of these games, I, no, I'm not going to crap on Bobby. Look, there's a reason they signed Bobby Portis. Is yes, they, they take chances on talent and athleticism. We've established that. Um, anyway, but but I want to I want to sort of answer your question with a question of my own to you. Sure. You've been a staunch Fizdale supporter through thick and thin. Last season was really rough, and you still came out of it, you know, feeling good and, and going forward. But do you know why? Before you ask the actual question, the reason I came out of it feeling good and still being supportive was because the team and the guys on the team seemed to make it through the season feeling good about what was a just utterly disastrous year on the court. But he held the thing together from a 
I don't know what you want to say, emotional standpoint, a mentality standpoint. I don't know what the word is, but you get what I'm saying. So yeah, he he with that preface, did a nice job keeping everyone's ducks in a row. Yeah, when shit hit the fan, he he stayed calm, and that's great. But I gotta be honest, what? All right, instead of me saying it, when is the last time you feel like David Fisdale was out coaching or could significantly out coach another coach in a game? So, um, oh goodness. Because to me, the is last a, time it, I can, can is think it a of modern that, coach? Can it? Can what? I go back to like the fifties or the forties? <laughs> no, no, just just in the sense of head to head coaching, where you feel that David Fisdale did something that was so smart that it actually propelled the team to winning said game. And for me, I'm trying to think back of another time, but I feel like his best moment was when he decided to run zone against the Hornets, and it completely changed the game, and the Knicks wound up winning. And other than that. I I'm drawing a blank, dude. I can't think of that many opportunities where I felt the Knicks have a distinct coaching advantage because of Fisdale and the decisions he's tried to make and how he's pushed his players forward. And I think his rotations and after timeouts and everything that he's done for the well, not everything things he's done for the most part have been presently counterproductive. And it just. It, it's mind-boggling because you just said about Ellington, right? And I agree. I totally agree. Bringing Ellington in would have made, if not a significant difference, just a minor one at that. But why not bring in Ellington and Neil Aquino? Like, why do, why do you even have so, to feel like you're in the position where you have to pick between one or the other, right? It seems crazy to me. So like, I, like the guy shooting 9.1% from the field should not be thrust back out there if he's if he's shooting like this. No, I, I, I'm – Nine, I nine point no. He, he's I think he's at like thirteen percent. Listen, we got to be fair to Dennis Smith Jr. here, guys. It's at least th- he's at least shooting thirteen percent from the field. Jeremy, I I I'll check. Oh, oh, you know what? You might only be counting the actual season. I, I went back to the preseason for the preseason. If you oh no, I, I'm not counting preseason because yeah, it's... no, because he had a two for twelve game in the preseason, which upped clearly upped his percentages. Um, so I'm I'm counting that he's one for eleven, which is nine point one percent. That is so in the regular season. So he was really scorching in the preseason. He must have been shooting like twenty five percent in the preseason. If we yeah. if, if only we could we could go back to that. Um, <laughs> here's what I'll 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 say. Um, no, I I don't think I've ever thought of a time where he was going to outcoat someone. But then again, to me, there are only you know, I don't know, four, five coaches that really matter in the NBA at any given time. And we know who those guys, it's the Carlisles, it's pop, it's, um, uh, it's Spo. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone and I apologize if I'm forgetting someone obvious. Um, you know, I guess if you want to throw doc in there for different, but so that's the thing is like doc is doc known as an X's and O's guy. No, doc is not known as an X's and O's guy. Um, but he consistently gets guys to believe, to produce, to come together, the whole thing. Obviously, Fisdale is trying to find that footing right now, but I, I guess, I guess what I'm, here's what I'm, here's the reason I struggle with this, right? He, it's not like they're not running plays. They're running Spain pick and roll. They're running mm-hmm. some horn sets. They're running floppy action. They're running all the same shit that every, you know, they're trying to run pick and rolls. They're running all the same shit that every team, every NBA team does. The reason that we don't focus on that is those plays 
don't stand out because a they are not working as well as um, when other teams run them because, in my estimation, the Knicks this year so far, again, in only three games, have the worst collective point guard play in the entire league. And remind me to get back to that point in a second because we're going to talk about Alfred Payton. The second thing is this. People remember the, the ISO plays that stick out. And you know why they remember the ISO plays? Because the ISO plays haven't been working because this team has missed more close baskets but again it's like how many times have we already seen Julius Randle like get down low by the basket and either miss an easy shot or turn it over now should he be going one on you know six it feels like sometimes instead of passing it out of course not but at the same time this is the guy you just signed this summer you're paying him 19 million dollars he has had some nice passes He's also obviously had some some possession, possessions which are an utter disaster. And you're like, oh my God, I'm sick of watching this guy already. But I feel like that's the type of thing where I'm more willing to be like, all right, maybe it's going to take this coach a little bit of time to build up that currency with the guy who is now the self-proclaimed team leader and be like, you know what? I know you're making the most money on this team. I know you got, you're going to play the most minutes on this team. I know you're going to put up the best stats on this team. I need you to pass more. And they need you to pass more right now, not tomorrow, today. Like, sh- should he have that currency with Julius Randle already, or to a lesser extent, Marcus Morris? I would a better coach have that currency. I don't. I don't know the answers to these questions, but the fact that I could even ask them leads me to the conclusion that maybe we're being a, a little hard on him in some respects, specifically the respects of. Is the offense in utter disaster? Because I I can't go that far, um, and I'm going to throw one back at you. What do you make of this statistic? Would you agree? Before I ask this question, of the three point of all of the the point guards we've seen play in the preseason and, and the regular season so far, Alfred Payton is the closest thing we've come to like an actual NBA point guard. In terms of, I mean, facilitating. In terms of facilitating slash, an yeah, offense, sure. Okay. Yeah. You want to take a guess at what the Knicks' offensive rating has been in the 81 minutes that Alfred Payton has been on the floor? If you're looking, I mean, you, or you could just look it up and cheat, but I, no, I, I, I want you to guess. Yeah. Um, man, I want to, is it somewhere like in the 80s? 112.3. Oh, boy, was I off. Wow. He has the highest net rating on the team. The defensive rating when he's been out there on the floor is 106. Now, you want to talk about small sample size theater? It does not get any smaller sample size theater than this. It's 81 freaking minutes. It's about half of the total minutes that this team has played. I guess a, a little bit more than half because half would be, what's 48 plus 24? Yeah, it's a little bit more than half. What do you make of that? Because to me, I look at that and I'm like, well, when they've had something even resembling a, a league average point guard, They've been an above-average offense this year in the short time that we have seen this team produce. So, I don't know. I don't know how I could look at that and then again completely kill the guy. I I I just I, I don't know that I could do that. Oh, killing Peyton? No, no, killing Fisdale. That's I was going to say yes, yeah. You you can only work with the tools that you're given, and I understand why he would then task a 19-year-old R.J. Barrett as being a primary ball handler. Which, like for that first game when it was with Trier. I was so against it because we've seen time and time again that it's really not the player who Trier is. If you're, I mean, yes, you can get RJ to, to do 
primary ball handling, but he's much better as a secondary player. So who's really going to be running the show there? And I think that's why Trier got the quick yank and then really didn't come back because that's just not his role. That's not what he is or who he should be. Yeah. With Peyton, yeah, it's it's astounding that – and I, I didn't hate the Peyton signing. I actually thought it was good because I thought the <laughs> battle between Frank and uh, DSJ – would be decent enough where both would be in a backup role. Um, but I didn't think it would be this bad where Dennis Jr. is unplayable and Frank is not playing. And I think it also goes to show that if the Knicks really want to show improvement, I mean, first and foremost, yeah, you have to get better production from one or both of uh, Dennis Smith Jr. and Frank, Milikina. But it's also the point where the Knicks now have to start looking for a an upgrade at the point guard position in season, they can't wait because if they if they don't do something now, then everything else is going to come out. It's, Jeremy, it's like, I've had people DMing me and, and messaging me about when can we get Kadeem Allen on the roster, and you know what I think when I see that I'm like, that might not be insane. And I, and and I say this to you, we're the two biggest Frank fans, and I don't know if I'm saying this because I just am convinced that the organization is not going to give Frank a chance, or if I am starting to like buy into like, well, you know, it's year three. I I I think it's mostly the former. Um, but it's not like he. It, I mean, look, it's not like Frank had a great preseason shooting the ball. He was six for twenty something, I think. Yeah, being the best of the worst isn't great. We saw what happened in terms of with Trey Young, and that was great, but you can't play Trey Young 82 times. And you can't play Kemba Walker 82 times. And again, it's ridiculous that Fizdale claims he was watching what went on with the world, and he sees Frankie Lakina shutting down Kemba Walker just absolutely on both ends of the floor, and yet the only action Frank sees is the last 18 seconds of the second half, and he defends Grant Williams. And the only time Frank touches the ball is when, uh, I believe it was Marcus Smart who shot it at the buzzer went off, and Frank got the rebound after the buzzer (laughs) and held on to it for dear life and then dapped up his teammate and gave the ball to the referee. And that's the most action he had in the entire night. How great would it have been if Frank Nilakina took the ball and ran through the corridor out into, like, 7th Avenue or 8th Avenue and just got in a cab and and got on a plane back to France with the game ball? I would, you know, I think that was the move. I think that's what he should have done. Frank, if you're you're listening to this. I have respect for that. Yeah. just Just the idea, and not even stopping once, right? Like, just constantly in motion and then... You know, bags are already packed somehow. No one They're knows waiting how. in the tunnel for him. Or he just, like, checks the ball at the baggage claim. Yes. Um, like so, all right, we've, we've, we've gone on about this a lot. I mean, look, I think th- here's what we've been talking about this for a half an hour, and, and here's what I think we've gotten from it, is that we – there's so much stuff up in the air right now, and there's so many moving parts, and it's so early, and some of these decisions are so baffling. I, I think – I, I do think, and, and I include myself in this because I was going off the deep end a little bit at times last night. I think we we need to take a step, a step back from the ledge because there's just there's it's so early, and we, there's so much we don't know yet. And you know who knows? Maybe Frank checks in the next game and ends up playing you know consistently from here on. And I I, I don't know. Um, quiz, and it's kind of cheating because you know where what topic we're going with next on this podcast. Um, actually, no. Before we get to the pit quiz, um, how about we do a little, uh, do a little ad read? What do you think? I think it's a fantastic idea. A little ad read. Um, let's do a little. You know what? Let's give one for the for the gambling addicts. Okay. 
And that can only mean one thing, of course. It's my bookie. Um, so we are a week into the NBA season. And if you haven't gotten in on the action, I mean, come on. What are you waiting for? you got to check out our friends at mybookie.ag. Let's take a look at some lines. Uh, Jeremy, what do you think the line is on the Knicks-Bulls game uh, tipping off um, on Monday night? Is it maybe like Bulls by four? You're a little high. You're a little high. It's it's huh. bull, it's it's Bulls by one. It's Bulls by one. So that's that's a bet you can make. What do you think the over under is for for good old Knicks Bulls? T- talk about ways to know the NBA has changed in 2019. This is this n- number makes me want to fall off my chair. What do you think it is? Well, judging how those two teams are bottom two in transition points. Uh, in defending the tra- against transition. Oh, that's a good point. They are awful at defense too. So maybe I, I, I that was a misnomer. My little intro. What do you, what do you think the number is? It's got to be like at least two forty. It's two maybe two forty six. Two twenty three and a half. Wow. Jeez, I'm wow. I'm just really off. Oh wow. Okay. No, okay. you're. I, I don't think they make over unders that high, but maybe they should for this game on second thought. So two two twenty three and a half. You could bet that one. Um, got some other lines here. You got Pacers. Uh, Pacers Pistons you could bet tomorrow. Um wow, the Cavs the Cavs are getting 15 points in Milwaukee. Yeah, I think huh. I I think I would take the Bucks. Anyway, um all this is to say that if you want to um you know, place a little action, the best time to get in is right now. Sign up at mybookie.ag, use promo code overtime and they're going to match your first deposit. Again, promo code overtime and new users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. Now for uh, quiz question number two, Jeremy Cohen. Which Nick that has actually played real minutes, we're not counting Damian Dotson's four-minute stint at the end of last night's game, which Nick has the highest defensive rating on the team? Is it going to be Rowan Alexander Barrett Jr.? What a great name, by the way. Really, it's it, fantastic. It's a, it is it's very, it's very like regal actually. Um, it is a uh, indeed the nineteen year old rookie who looked like he couldn't defend you or me at the beginning of summer league. Uh, the Knicks in the one hundred nine minutes he has been on the court um, have given up one hundred two points per one hundred possessions. I want to do I want to give you one more. Okay, so the Knicks have a negative eleven point two net rating, which is obviously god awful through three games. Um, they're getting outscored by 2.8 points per hundred possessions, so two point negative 2.8 net rating, um, second best among regulars behind the aforementioned Alfred Payton. Uh, how do you think the Knicks are doing when RJ has not been on the court? When he's not been? Yeah, so he has sat down for a grand total of 35 minutes this season through three games. How do you think the Knicks are doing in those 35 minutes? Uh, I got to say at least negative 15. Negative 32.1. They are scoring the ball at a clip of 94.6 points per hundred, and they are giving up 126.7. So <laughs> what does this mean? That means not only is a 19-year-old the best player on this Knicks team, he might be far and away the best player on this Knicks team. And that, on it makes a small part of me cry inside. But on the other hand, I think, I think we have to be happy about this, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I actually said in my article, 
uh, basically saying like, I don't know if it's a great sign that RJ Barrett is the best player on this team or a terrible sign that RJ Barrett's the best player. <laughs> it's on this a team. sign of something. Yeah, exactly. But no, he's been phenomenal. You couldn't really ask for more in terms of what he's giving you. Yeah, okay. You could hope that his shot is a little better, at least in terms of free throws. And but I mean, like, what player on this team doesn't have? some sort of free throw woes after sure. the last few games. Um, and what's really funny is I'm looking at the shot chart, and it's three games worth, you know, nothing really to, to find significant. But it's very funny to me how from three-point range, it's almost symmetrical. Like, he's got shots in all across yeah. um, the line, which is a great point. Fantastic. You know, he'll, he'll pick and choose his spots a little bit better, and um, we're finding that there's – I'm looking right now, and there's one area where he's taken five shots, and he's only hit one of them. But – Clearly shows there's a tendency and he likes that spot and hopefully he keeps working on it and goes from there. Um, but yeah, I, I – what can't you love about this? Like I – if we have to go through last season one more season again this year uh, and we get a player that's even in the range of how good RJ has been through these three games, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> like I, I don't want it to happen and hopefully the Knicks can get a great player and still be a, a mediocre to – slightly below average or even average team but like this is fantastic this is the franchise player that we're hoping for it's three games into his career we have a long way to go but if anything it just shows that maybe the scouting team especially as Knox comes along like scouting development is actually showing some nice signs of improvement yeah and and like to me the RJ conversation it's actually kind of tough to disassociate it from the the Fisdale conversation, because here here's the thing, at least in my eyes, when the offense has run through Barrett this year, and I, I get there have been some touchy moments. I get he's had some turnovers, as as Chris Herring, I think I mentioned this um, on Knicks Fan TV after the game on Friday night. Herring, um, you know, who obviously is very astute, tweeted out that there were several possessions against the Nets where it looked like like the Knicks were on the verge of a turnover or they were like a hair away from turning the ball over when RJ was in at point guard. But at the same time, it looks to me at least a lot of times like a real offense. And I'm not saying that's sustainable. I'm not saying he should be like the starting point guard. I'm not saying that at all. But like in the end, like that's, that's the only thing that kind of gets me. And it relates to what I said before. Everybody's talking about like, why can't we look like a normal NBA offense? Well, guess what? Look around the league. How many how many NBA teams would you say have a point guard that you would define as like good to really good? Like 20, 22 maybe? Something in that neighborhood? I don't even know if it would be that high up. No, I'm I'm j- I'm just saying like how many other teams really have like uh, like who's the next worst point guard situation in the league? And I'm I'm not even sure that I could think of one. I would say the Bulls probably. And and you know what? Thomas Sadoransky would run laps around the three exactly. nominal point guards on this team. And I feel bad saying that about Frank. But guess what? Thomas Sadoransky could do. He could hit a shot. Mm-hmm. Um. So here that, that's and to bring this back to RJ, when RJ has the ball, it's like oh that's. That looks that looks right. That looks like something that's sustainable. That looks like something that is, um, with time, can can get better and be like a thing that we could rely on. Um, what have what has your been? What has been your favorite thing about him so far this season? 
Transition. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd have to say. Um, you know, I mean, pace and transition seems to really be something that Fizdale has wanted to improve upon. And so even the Knicks, I mean, there's, I think Yaron Weitzman wrote an article a couple of years ago when the Knicks were getting slaughtered in Denver and the front office was saying this team is just not athletic. And yep. to me, nothing says we're athletic, like like exploding in transition um, and just, just having a ridiculous pace. And then I, the Knicks, I think um, last I checked their pace was pretty good. At least after the first game, they were, they had the best one. I, I honestly hadn't been able to check since then. Um, but it's the sort of thing where that is such a key element and his ability to finish at the rim makes it all the more important. And so if you can get like-minded players, like the sky's the limit in that sense. Yeah. Um, I, th- and my, my personal favorite thing, and this is going to relate to something I'll touch on the pod, um, in our next and last segment. Um, I love that he's been looking for Mitch, uh, Mitchell Robinson. It seems like he's been looking for Mitch probably more than any other, any other player on the team. And to me, that's like, that's easy money. And, you know, I completely get it. It's like, he knows he has a sense of what works and he is, and he has the ability to like, you know, place the ball where, where only Mitchell Robinson can get it. Um, by the way, in terms of transition stats, um, as of right this second on cleaning the glass, um, oh, sorry, I'm on, I'm on transition defense. So transition offense, um, the Knicks are running at a frequency of 17% of the time, which is ninth best, um, which is obviously, um, very good. What is less good is points per possession on, or points per hundred possessions on those, um, or I guess points, let me make sure I get this statistic right, uh, points added per 100 transition possessions, and obviously these this number should be high because transition buckets should be easier to come by than regular buckets, mm-hmm. the Knicks are um, a desultory 0. 0.3, um, and the only teams below them are teams that are actually doing worse in transition opportunities than I guess their, their normal offense. (laughs) So from that perspective, um, the Knicks are not doing so great in transition, but they are, they are running, they are running, which is, you know, which is, you, you, you like to see that. And they had a lot of steals in the first two games. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, I, I guess the only question left with Barrett is like, are we going to see Barrett be the starting point guard for this team? Like (laughs) in, January next week I like would anything shock you at this point like and I it wouldn't shock me no well we talked to the last pod you said you thought that the offense would flow through Barrett before the end of the season and yep. I said before the end of 2019 <laughs> you and were right it turns out, well it <laughs> turns out it was even earlier than that it was the first game where we saw actions of of Barrett really being the primary facilitator yep uh no it would not surprise me in the slightest I think also this is really going to be a tale of two seasons. Um, it's going to be the first part where Fizdale tries to figure out what works, and it's going to be the second part where the Knicks have traded a bunch or at least bought out a bunch of said players, and then they're going to focus on the development factor with whoever's left over. And it's going to be not so much a race to the bottom, but it's not exactly going to be a race to the top. And we're just in the beginning of that first season, and Fizdale – He's got a job to do in terms of developing, and he's got a job to do in terms of winning. And it feels to me like, yes, there is a way you can balance the two, but I have this deep concern that he's going to start to get desperate. And 
he's mm. then going to put players in a position that maybe they're not supposed to be in. Like he's going to have RJ consistently running point. And I think if you're playing RJ 38 minutes a game and he's primary point guard for let's say three quarters of them, that's not a good thing. I, I, I don't like that very much. I, so it's interesting to me because my gut feeling when you say that is that obviously the ceiling for RJ's career in terms of a personal and a team context is that he is the secondary ball handler next to an elite point guard. But in the sense of like, and I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not comparing him to this player. Everybody just calm down. I'm not comparing him to this player, but in terms of how it worked on offense, the Kyle Lowry, uh, Kawhi Leonard dynamic on um, on Toronto last year, where like Kyle Lowry clearly was the the point guard for the team, um, and but Kawhi, you know, got his fair share of of possessions. And I actually think it would probably be inverted, where clearly Kawhi was the best player and Lowry was the you know arguably the second best. I think if RJ is ever on a championship caliber team, he'll probably be the Lowry caliber of player maybe a little bit higher and there's going to be someone that's more of a you know more of a a, a 1a um so i from all that is a very long-winded way of saying i actually think the experience on the ball even if it is in fisdale's best interest to win games this year i think it may actually help his development because it's like he's gonna need to do that stuff anyway but I agree with you, there is a point where it's too much and he's not developing maybe some of the other parts of his game. So that's that's fair. Um, yeah, I don't... Um, I don't know. I just... I, I wonder... I, there, I still think there's a world where the development aspect of this team and the win-now aspect of this team actually go hand-in-hand. Hand, um, and you're, you're winning helps foster that development but i might be living in my own dream world no so. i think you're right it, it all just comes down to the right group of guys like for example i don't see this happening but what if for example um the knicks started Knox, morris and mitch and had randall coming off the bench yeah not like, i i think if you, if you had said Knox, randall mitch i think there's a better chance of that happening right or even so i think that He's got a lot of tinkering. Well, look at it this way. If there's one guy that we all feel pretty confident is going to get traded, um, maybe sooner rather. Oh, t- an- another crazy theory. And I I apologize. I forget who. Oh, you know what? It was Jason also. My, my buddy Jason is really coming up huge. Shout out to Knicks for Clicks. Um, he also proposed that maybe Frank isn't getting off the bench because the Knicks already have a deal lined up for December 15th. In which case, obviously, Frank would need to be added to other salary, which was signed this summer, and you know maybe it's Morris. So, uh, I I've had the same thought. Um, is it I that felt... insane? I'll ask you the same no, question. Is it that well, insane? Well, I mean, maybe it is because I thought of it, but the sort of thing where I could absolutely see Morris and Frank going somewhere together. Um, and he, like, here's the crazy part. This is obviously pure speculation. To me, it's like, well, what are teams that could actually use him? And it's so early that we don't even know. But one possibility is a place like Detroit, where you think about and, what and by the way, are. who who currently is employed by the Detroit Pistons, um, a certain Mister Markeith Morris. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and who is also just been drafted by the Detroit Pistons, uh, Mister Sekou. I don't want to screw up his last name. Domboya. Domboya. 
Sure. Yes. Um, in the sense of, I think there are a lot of easy reasons why that could work. Um, and salary. the salary coming back. Here's the other thing. It also depends very much on Derek Rose and their point guard situation. Because what if I told you that the returning salary, if, if for any Pistons trade, would likely have to include Reggie Jackson, which who is under contract for next year. Which you know what? Can I? No, tell you? he's not. He's I not. thought he this was under. A, he's not. He's no. an expiring contract. See, that's. You know, honestly, I almost wish he was under contract for next year. Um, <laughs> but, but that's that's where I'm getting. At. It, it seems too premature, obviously. But based on what Jason's saying, it goes hand in hand to what I was thinking earlier. God, where that makes so much sense. Yeah, and then you get salary working back as well with uh, Galloway on an expiring deal, and then you have Dotson to balance it, and then let's say they throw in a protected first. And um, if the Knicks get back a protected first in that deal, then build a statue to Scott Perry, regardless of everything else. If but they that's get like back- that's you know like you can make an argument that trading Frank in that situation is dumb. Um, yes, I think also though it really depends on what the Pistons want to do because. They, I mean, they're in a really shitty situation cap-wise, and they've got Drummond, who's been phenomenal, and hopefully Ooh, they're going to max out this summer. Exactly. That's, so if that is happening, them, right? Um, and they could still make room because of the fact that they'll have Reggie Jackson coming off the books, but they have Derrick Rose for another season, and it's just when I was thinking about it earlier, I was like, there are a lot of um, interesting parts here, and I could absolutely see why this happens, and that's why um, for December fifteenth, the moment it rolls around, I think. I think we could see someone be moved, like with a Rizzo last year. Um, I this is how intrigued I am by I, I am by this now. I am looking at the Pistons salaries right now on on good old Hoopside. So we got, by the way, also Tony Snell with a player option for next season for twelve million dollars. Which um, you want to talk about someone who is one thousand percent going to pick that up. So we're talking about Snell and Reggie. For Morris, Frank, and Dotson, I think that works. That I think that works money wise. The Knicks might need to send someone else. I can tell you for certain that Jackson and Galloway for those three players would work financially. Well, no, it wouldn't be. Ja- it would be Jackson and Snell because Snell- no, I know. I'm, I was just saying based on the what okay. I had done earlier. I can't. I I can't speak on Snell even though his salary is a little bit more than Galloway, so it would make sense. How about, how about this? How about Trier? Reggie Snell? Reggie Snell and Galloway for good old crazy eyes, Bobby Portis, Marcus Morris, and uh, Frank, and, uh, you know, Thought, and uh, maybe throw in Fisdale, too, and, uh, you know, a couple other. Anyway. Um, yeah, but, but some of those lines where I could see exactly why it's not you know, nuts. Frank used. No, I, I really don't think it is. No. And then, and then um, you know, Derek Rose gets to reunite with. Oh no, Derek Rose was. Uh, that's right. Frank was drafted to replace Derek Rose. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Ah, uh, the tangled webs that we weave. <laughs> All right. Um, we got. I, uh, wait, sorry, I what got, was that? I got one question for you before we start wrapping up. Yes. This week, the Knicks play the Bulls. Yes. At home, the Magic in Orlando, the Celtics in Boston, and the Kings at home. What situation is there? Where we're recording this next weekend, and you are not just crestfallen, but you're you're now at the point where you're somewhat livid. How do we reach that livid, John? How do we meet? How do we reach Mad Macri? Um, like a, a even a semi-realistic scenario. Yeah, 
Yeah, not you know, not pie in the sky sort of thing. Like what from what we've seen in the last three games that you could see happening in the next four that would really get to, get you to the point where you're like, all right, I'm, I I'm I basically had it with Fizz, or at least you're really on the outs with him. Something along those lines. I just want to I gauge. Mean, the Dennis Smith Jr. thing. At this point, I'm I'm actually kind of I wouldn't be surprised if it continued. Because it, you know I'm starting to have this conversation about like Frank and potentially you know he's he's going to be dealt and like maybe that's why they're not playing him, um, you know and it's like what whatever maybe maybe this has been an organizational decision to just like look we're going to stick with with Dennis Smith Jr. for ten minutes a game for in perpetuity no matter how ugly it is because we owe it to this guy and owe it to ourselves to try to figure this out like I I actually. Like I obviously I wouldn't agree with that, but I I could see myself being like you know what if you think that's the way to go fine. Um, I think the only thing that would get me is if they started Bobby Portis ahead of Mitchell Robinson. Um, not to say that the starting lineup couldn't maybe use the shooting, but it would. I just think. There's a lot of RJ hype right now, and there's a lot of RJ love right now, as there should be. And it would signal to me that the organization is not making enough of a priority to a guy that, in my mind, if RJ Barrett is foundational building block 1A, Mitchell Robinson is foundational building block like one like lowercase a. Um, I think he's that important to them, and I think he's... I think they owe it to themselves, and I think they owe it to him that much to just, you know, make sure they continue treating him as such. And if, like, we were seeing Bobby Portis play, like, 30 minutes a game and Mitch play, like, the remainder and coming off the bench, I just, that would irk me in a way that I don't know, I don't know how I would feel. So, yeah. Okay. Again, I I don't think that's necessarily going to occur just based on what we saw with the Spurs game and the fact that the Knicks allowed 85% of the shots to go in at the rim, right? Uh, 85 on cleaning the glass. So I, I think the number from NBA.com was 81%. But um, yeah, either way, it's uh, it's pretty outstanding. Okay. Well, hopefully that doesn't happen for a variety of reasons. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So we, let's uh, we're going to do one more read and then we're going to do our, our last five minutes and we're going to get out of here. Um, okay. So um, what do we got here? Oh! We have Vivid Seats. Oh, this is fun. I thought I was going to have to read something that's, like, boring. But, no, Vivid Seats is great because if you're looking for tickets to Nick games and you and you don't want to miss them because, I mean, obviously, who wouldn't want to go to a Nick game right now? Um, use Vivid Seats. It's the best source for tickets for events you want to go to. Nick games, maybe you want to go, uh, you know, catch an Islander game. Um, I don't even know where the Islanders are playing right now. Are they still playing at the Barclays? I think so. I think so, but they're also playing in Long uh, Island as well. They're back in the Coliseum too? Is that A little bit, yeah. Okay, good for them. Uh, maybe you're a Ranger fan. Maybe you want to go catch the uh, the thrilling Jets or Giants because they just look so great. Um, so Vivid Seats, by the way, offers a loyalty program. Um, it's called Vivid Seats Rewards. Fans are automatically enrolled in it um, if you go to the App Store or Google Play and you download the Vivid Seats app. Um, reminder, every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. Um, any ticket you want, sports, concerts, you name it, Vivid Seats has it all. And, of course, when it's time to buy... Use promo code OVERTIME at checkout, and you're going to receive a discount of up to $100. All right, we're going to go five, about five minutes over what we said, um, but we're going to end with a quick top five list for both of us. So 
I said to Jeremy, I want to make sure I get this right because I don't want to, I don't want to screw this up. So, I'm literally reading my text for, to you. I was thinking we could each do a top five list of things we want to see moving forward, either rotation wise, play wise, stat wise, whatever. Um, Jeremy, let's let's do a combined top five for the sake of. Sure, we could do a combined top five. So how about this? You want to go, what, what is your, let's start with this. Let's see, what is your number one thing you want to see? I want to see more Kevin Knox. Ooh. Yeah. Did not make I, my list, but that's a good one. Yeah, you know, I it's the sort of thing where we're seeing a lot of great Knox moments in small quantities, and I really hope that can continue over a larger sample size. But he's really improved in so many facets of facets of his game offensively i i noticed one thing on uh, friday i believe it was with this passing where randall brought it up in transition passed it to rj rj gave it right to morris morris found knox who was wide open in the corner knox didn't even look at the basket he just passed it instantly back to morris who drained the three and nice. thinking about where we were last year maybe like two-thirds of the way in um when he when knox really started to look for other teammates um, it just it's awesome how far he's come with that, and I think he can also improve a lot with his defense, as we all know. Yep. Uh, he was kind of abused. But by he's had some. He's had some DeMar. moments. He's had yeah. some a couple moments. So for sure, and Demar was never an easy task to begin with. But yeah. that sort of thing, where giving him those reps, I think, is a very vital thing to do, and I would really love to see him play more. Um, I want to add one caveat to that, which is I would like to see him get five to ten minutes a game with RJ and Mitch, but without um, Morris and Randall. And I know Fizz loves to have Randall and Mi- and Mor- or Morris um, on the floor at the same, at one, either one of them had to be at least one of them on the floor. Um, but I just feel like he might not get as much of the offense directed at him um, uh, as maybe we would like if, if those guys continue to play. With him, my number one is I just and I brought it up before. I want to see more lobs to Mitchell Robinson, and I realize that teams are game planning for that. And I realize that the lob has not maybe been open as much as it was last year because teams are ready for it. That being said, whether it's putting someone else on the floor as an additional spacer, you know, hi Wayne Ellington, um, to you know to draw the defense out to to get the defense scrambling, whatever the case may be. Um, it is, it is free money. It's a free basket. If you could just figure out a way to get the lane open. Um, so make more of an effort to do that, please. The guy was seven for freaking seven the other night. Um, he didn't miss a shot. So let's, um, let's, let's figure out a way to do that. What is your, uh, number, number two? Protecting the ball. This team has turned it over a league worst. I think twenty some odd times, uh, and it's well, they're they are twenty. It's at least twenty five. Twenty two turnovers a game. I, if yeah, my, if was, my math is correct. Yeah, because they fifty at least fifty combined the last two games, and they didn't have nearly as many, uh, near as much the first game. Yes, protecting the ball, I feel like that would be a very important factor, especially considering how if the Knicks hang on to the ball a little bit more, in addition to those foul shots, in addition to so many other reasons, they're one and two, and that one game is against the Nets. Yeah. And it's just uh, a lot of sloppy, loose ball handling. And I get it. You know, I understand because a lot of it is new faces and they're trying to connect. But, man, it's just 
It's hard to run an offense when you can't even have the ball. <laughs> it's it's hard to run an offense when you don't have the ball. That is the quote of the episode, and I love it. And I love I love you for saying it. Um, my number two is I and not come as a surprise if you've listened to the episode so far. I would like to see more Wayne Ellington. Um, I've written it over the summer. I kind of in- insinuated that I thought he should be the starting two guard. Obviously, you know, Barrett kind of has that locked up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know, I, I mean, he's, he's actually, I was about, I was about to try to say something like, I know he's not. And then I'm thinking to myself, like, what really isn't he that it would, is so damning? Like he, he plays perfectly fine defense. He, he's feisty. He moves on offense, which nobody else does. Um, they need this guy. There's a reason they signed him, and maybe Fizz is just kind of biding his time. And like, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I was really shocked that we didn't see him. Um, uh, the other night against um the Celtics. So that is mine. Um, do you wanna do you wanna do one more, and then we'll we'll finish it up? Sure. Yeah. And the other thing with Ellington that is so surprising is with uh, Bullock eventually coming back, we're going to see another logjam and Dotson's healthy too. So it would make sense to really try to get Wayne Ellington in there now. So if and when you want to bring Bullock back, um, there's, you know, like he's at least gotten enough burn where you can kind of phase him out if need be. But I think he just helps the team win to begin with. And at the end of the day, that's what we want. We'd love for the team to go 79 and three. We know that's not going to happen by (laughs) any stretch. Because uh, uh, seventy-eight and four, but that's okay. Know. We can live with that. You never know. <laughs> um, I'd say five is just if we still see the next Dennis Smith. If we still see the same Dennis Smith Jr. in the next game, find a resolution that isn't just having him out there and suffering because there's a G League for a reason. Well, and- but it's not. It does. I actually looked up the schedule because I had the same thought. I had the same thought. <laughs> The G League does not start for two weeks. Two weeks from yesterday, actually, it opens. So, for what it's worth. Well, then, if you're going... Okay, put it this way. If he's going to be struggling as much as he can, or as much as he has been, um, give him the same treatment that you gave Frank Nielakina. Um, it's it. The leash is so long, I think you need to rope it in a little bit. <laughs> I, I think that's a good place to end it. Um, I just... I, I really... I can't escape... The, the nagging thought that the conversation today would just be a lot different if he never saw the light of day in the second half of that game because the, 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 the crowd stuff doesn't happen and I don't think that the team gets as demoralized. I'm convinced, actually, that the team does not get as demoralized as they ended up being um, towards the end of the third quarter and just complete completely lay down and die. Um, yeah, I hope, you know, your lips to whoever's ears that has some say over this. Um, Jeremy, you said you had an article coming out. What, uh, what is, when are we, when are we saying this? Uh, hopefully today as in Monday. Um, <laughs> yeah, it'll be out. And also, uh, I know we had a vivid seats offer, so now would be a terrible time. I mean, just an absolutely brutal time for me to mention that I have tickets to the Bulls games that I'm looking to sell if anyone, <laughs> if anyone's of interest, but I'm not going to mention that despite the fact that they're in, uh, Section two sixteen row one, great views. Good seats. Add, yes, absolutely. And you know, we wouldn't charge third party fees, but I wouldn't add that 
I wouldn't mention this because of the fact that we've got ad revenue and Vivid Seats is fantastic. Vivid Seats so, is fantastic. Um, you, it's a sh- we, if we didn't have Vivid Seats, I wouldn't have mentioned it. You could. You, I, I would be mentioning it. You could both be fantastic. It's okay for two two parties to be fantastic at the that's same true. time. That's so true. Um, all right. On that note, um, everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. We will be back with you with uh, an episode on – I pretty sure it's going to be posting on Wednesday that I am, uh, I'm pretty excited about actually. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but trying something a little different. Um, so stay tuned for that. And yeah, um, everybody have a good week and let's try to get a win, please. Whatever you got to do, get it done. Good deal.